Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We are so excited that you joined us today. Our lead pastor, Pastor James Lair, is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. Well, it's been quite a few weeks for me. I'll tell you what, crazy things have been happening. As you know, I battled kidney stones for three weeks. I've never gone that long. This is my sixth kidney stone. I named it Fabio. Uh, I started naming him. I've had so many. And so, and then after that, I caught the worst case of the flu I've had in the longest time. And not only me, but Jolene was sick. Our daughter was sick. We couldn't help each other. It's a good thing we have three bathrooms. My goodness, we were living on the floor of those bathrooms, and we couldn't even help each other. It was pretty miserable. And I, to add that, I threw out my back sometime this morning, probably from laying on the floor for five days or something like that. So I got one of those heat patches on, and I'm barely, I'm being held together with spit and bailing wire, you know. But I'm here, bless God. And you know what? I lost three pounds. I do not recommend this diet plan, however, please, you do not want it. And that three pounds may have been something I barfed up that I probably needed, like a kidney or something, I don't know. But bless God, I'm back. And also, just relax, got the negative COVID test, it's okay, so it was just the flu. I mean, does anybody get any other kind of sickness anymore, or is it just all COVID? But you still might want to avoid me. I'm just, you know, warning you, that's probably the safest thing to do. I must be doing something right if the devil's coming after me like this, bless God. And you know what? I, I know you are praying for me, and that means the world to me. And I, I know you're faithful to lift up me and your pastoral staff in prayer. We need your covering. We need your backing in the spirit because Satan wants to take us out. The, the Bible says if the, the, the enemy wants to attack the shepherd to scatter the sheep. And so thank you for standing with me and praying for me and Bless God, I hope I'm free from anything. From, no more Fabios for a while. We're good. want to continue this series, It Is Well With My Soul. You know, water wells figured prominently throughout the Bible. They were a vital source of life for everyone. You had to have a well of water nearby, especially in the arid climate in which most of our Bible stories are, are set and I love the old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, and that's why I chose that title, you know, kind of a play on words, a water well, but also it being well with our souls. And that hymn was written by Horatio Spafford, and you know, m- many of the hymns have a story behind it. And when you know the story behind it, the hymn means that much more to you, or the song means that much more to you, because many hymns and psalms and songs were written out of desperation and written out of dif- difficult times. And Horatio Spafford was a wealthy attorney, young man, and then his son died. And a few years later, he lost his entire fortune, his wealth, everything, in the Chicago fire of 1871. And then he sent his wife and four daughters on a ship to England, and he had planned to join them later. Unfortunately, that ship sank, and his four daughters drowned. His wife lived, but his, he lost everything everything. And when he started to take a ship over to England to meet his wife, he was around that area where the ship went down and he wrote these words, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, 
it is well. It is well with my soul. Now, when you realize that was written by a man who lost everything, he lost his son, he lost his daughters, he lost his wealth, he, he lost everything. And for that kind of faith to be, still be able to say, no matter what happens to me, it is well with my soul. And this is what I want to share with you this morning. And this is what I've been sharing with you in this series. I want you to understand that everyone suffers tragedy in life. Everyone goes through difficult trials. Everyone suffers. It's part of life. But it can still be well with your soul. It can be well on the inside no matter what is going on on the outside. And that's the challenge for us. You see, Satan wants us to get us to focus on all of our problems instead of our blessings. And the enemy wants to discourage us and beat us down and begin to question the goodness of God. And the challenge for us is no matter what's happening out in the world, that we can still say those words and mean it. It is well with my soul. And I've been sharing with you biblical principles that if we follow these principles, it'll bring that wellness to our soul. Because many of us are struggling. And there are times I can honestly say, it's not well with my soul. I've allowed the problems in, in my life to affect my internal peace of mind. And so we have to step back and we have to remind ourselves when we get from God's word these principles to live by so that no matter what happens to us in life, good or bad, it can still be well with our souls. So we've been talking about the woman at the well, probably the most well-known story in the Bible about a water well. And so let me give you just a, a brief review to catch you up with the story. Jesus and his disciples traveled through Samaria. And that was dangerous because the Jews and the Samaritans were enemies of each other. And when the disciples went into town to buy food, Jesus stayed at this well. And a woman who had a sinful reputation in that town came at high noon to draw water. She came at noon because she hoped nobody would be there. Most of the time, the women would draw water in the, in the morning or the evening, but she had five husbands, and she had quite a reputation, and so she came at noon because she had hoped nobody would be there, but Jesus was there. How I many you know Jesus shows up when we least expect him sometimes? And so she's there, and to her shock, Jesus talks to her, because in that day, a Jewish man would never talk to a Samaritan woman. And so he asks her for a drink of water, and she's, she's stunned that Jesus would even speak to her. And then they begin to have a discussion, and, and Jesus starts probing deeper into her life. And he begins to deal with the problems in her life because he wants to set her free. But how many of you know, you're not going to be set free until you overcome the problems. you got to deal with the dysfunction at its source. And so Jesus so loved this woman that he took her deeper and he began to talk about her life. And she changed the subject to religion. <laughs> so Jesus went along with it for a little while and then he brought her back and she said, you know, I know the Messiah is coming. And Jesus said, I'm the Messiah. And this is amazing because Jesus kept that secret from a lot of people. And yet he revealed it to this woman that nobody else liked and that nobody else would talk to. Why? Because Jesus loved her, and he had plans for her. It wasn't her past. It was her future that was going to be radical for Jesus. And so Jesus revealed himself, and she leaves her water jar behind, runs into the town, and is telling everybody, come and see. Come and see the Messiah. Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. And so the town now is starting to make their way out to see Jesus, because often the well was on the outside of town. 
And that's where we pick up our story. John 4.31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Now, there are several principles just in these four short verses, several principles I want to share with you. We're only going to get to four of them today that we'll try to get the rest next Sunday. But the disciples of Jesus had gone in town to buy food, and when they return, they try to get him, the son of God, to eat. It just cracks me up how often the disciples tried to tell Jesus what to do. Hey, Jesus, you need to eat. He's the son of God. He knows if he needs to eat or not. Okay. But that was typical of the disciples. They, they would try to instruct the son of God. They would try to tell Jesus how to do certain things. Peter said, you're the Christ. And, and Jesus says, God has revealed that to you. And the next step, Jesus has to rebuke Peter because he's trying to get him to do something that God hasn't called him to do. And so the disciples, they're, they're, they don't quite get it. They fail to understand what God is doing and what Jesus was doing. And so Jesus had asked for a drink of water, not a bite of food. Now, why is this pertinent? So often, the disciples were not on the same page with Jesus. So often, they did not see with spiritual eyes. They could only see with their natural eyes. And so, so many times, Jesus had to explain things to them. One time he even said, are you so dull? <laughs> I mean, and Jesus said, how long have I been with you guys? You still don't get it. And so here's Jesus, and they're like trying to get him to eat food. And, and Jesus is so far above what they're trying to do. You know, sometimes we're not on the same page with God either. Let's be honest. And we can make fun of the disciples all we want, but we can read their story. They were living it. And so we're, it gives me hope. I love the disciples, especially Peter, man. He puts his foot in his mouth so many times. That gives me hope that Jesus is still going to love me. Of course he will. But the disciples were human just like you and me. And they made mistakes and they didn't get it so often. And sometimes we're not on the same page with God. So for it to be well with our soul, number one, we must be in step with Jesus. Remember, we're called to follow him, not lead him, not control him, not tell him what to do. We are to follow him, and we need, we need to be in step with Jesus, especially in our lives. You've got to track with him. You've got to understand what he's doing. You've got to seek his face. But like the disciples, sometimes we're out of sync with what God is doing in our situation and our circumstances. As a result, we fail to understand what God is saying, and what he's trying to accomplish in our lives. We see this example with the disciples in Matthew 16, verse 5. When they went across the lake, the disciples fought, forgot to take bread. Somebody messed up the checklist. I don't know about you, but whenever I go on vacation, I have a checklist. I wouldn't have forgotten bread. I mean, I probably would have. In verse 6, be careful, Jesus said to them, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves. Now, this cracks me up. They're in a boat. 
not a huge ship. They're in a fishing boat, and they're crossing over the, the, the Sea of Galilee, and they try to huddle up together without Jesus. It's like Jesus is like, I can hear you. You know, I can see you, right? You know, huddling up over there. But they huddled up, and they often did that. When they didn't understand things, you know, instead of just being stupid alone, they'd be stupid together. They'd, they'd huddle up. And so they're huddled up here, and, and they discussed this among themselves and said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. <laughs> Aware of their discussion, <laughs> duh, Jesus asked, you of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Jesus had fed the 5,000. The disciples had handed out the food. They had collected what was left over. And Jesus said, this just happened, dudes. Do you not realize what just happened? And then he goes on, or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered. How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees, which were two political religious parties. Then they understood, ah, that he was not telling them to guard against yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The disciples, now you've got to think about this. The disciples were obsessed with food. There's a lot of cases that involved food and the disciples. I mean, look through it sometime. It's, it's interesting. Like most guys, they thought about food and eating all the time. Anybody with me? I'm thinking about it right now because I haven't eaten anything all day. I'm thinking, what's for lunch? I know you are too. You're tuning me out right now. You know, you're, you're thinking about whatever's cooking in the oven or what you, where you're going to. Because that's what we do, guys. We think about food. Bless God. I even plan for my lunch appointments. You know what I'm saying? So if I have a lunch appointment, sometimes even the day before, I'll go online and look at the menu. <laughs> and it's not just so I can order quickly when we get there, you know, but I want to I know what's available. I want to I think about this. I want to dream about it. <laughs> and I, I want to look forward to it. I want to anticipate the food. And, and so I even schedule my life around what I'm eating. And, and I also have some idiosyncrasies. I'll admit, if I ate beef for lunch, I want a different dead animal for supper. Some other carry-on, you know, pig, bird, whatever. And so this is so frustrating for Jolene. She'll call me and say, what'd you eat for lunch? Chicken. Oh, great. Now I'll have to cook something different for dinner. It's just one of those things. And don't get me even started about men and barbecuing. How many of you know there is just something manly about cooking a dead animal over fire? It's just, it's just manly. And my, my, my barbecue went on the blink, and I haven't been able to barbecue. Jolene bought me a new one for Father's Day, and it's back ordered. So I don't, I don't know what to do with myself. I've got the shakes, you know, because I need to cook dead meat. And I was just, I was raised that way. I, I've shared with you before, I was raised that for dinner, for supper, and those are different, for dinner or supper, you got to have something dead and something green. But you want to be careful, it's not the same thing. That's important. Unless it's green eggs and ham, then maybe it's okay. 
And so like most men, food is an important part of our existence. That was true for the disciples. And they had seen Jesus feed 5,000 people on one hand. And then he, they saw him feed another 4,000 people. And then they, Jesus reminded them about the leftovers. There was even leftovers. I love leftovers. Now, there are some people that were raised with leftovers. You hate leftovers as an adult. You know, you, you swore when I become an adult, I'm never eating leftovers. And then there's some of us who I ate leftovers for a kid, and I love leftovers. My mom was the master at recycling leftovers. You know what I'm saying? We'd have the Sunday pot roast. Anybody used to have the pot roast on Sunday? You know, you, you're always worried the preacher's going to go long and burn the pot roast. But mom would cook the pot roast and we'd have leftovers and she'd recycle it all through the week. Mix it with other things and stretch it out. And then at the very end of the week, she would put it all in a, in a grinder, hand grinder, and we'd make hash out of it. And then Sunday morning, we'd start it all over again. So there was leftovers. And the disciples saw that there was so much food. And after they experienced this miracle, they were still worried that they forgot bread. I mean, think about it. Jesus, the 5,000 and the 4,000, they only counted the men, not even the women and children. So it could have been over 10,000 people. The disciples saw Jesus feed them bread, break it in half, and it multiplied. There were even leftovers. And yet still they're like, oh, my goodness, oh, it's over. Life is over. We forgot bread. And yet they're in the boat with the bread of life, Jesus Christ. I'm telling you something. If you're with Jesus, you don't need to be afraid of anything. You don't need to be worried about anything. And so Jesus nailed them and said, you of little faith, for it to be well with our soul, Number two, we must have faith in Jesus. Now, that's Christianity 101. I get it. That's not profound. You're not going to say, wow, you're not going to make a big meme about that today. And Pastor James said we need to have faith in Jesus. Duh. I mean, that's, that's Christianity 101. But how many times do we not live it? There are so many times we say it. We've heard sermon after sermon about it. But when we are in a stressful situation, we freak out instead of have faith. I'm just speaking for myself. Y'all may be way ahead of me, and that's okay. After what they had experienced, the disciples should have never, ever worried about food ever again in their lives. Because they saw the bread of life feed thousands. As long as they were with Jesus, they never had to worry about anything. And the same is true for you and me. As long as we're with Jesus, as long as we're in step, as long as we trust him, we have nothing to worry about. But they were worried. They already forgot about the miracles. You know, we can be the same way sometimes. We're so glad God got us through that. Oh, that was answer to prayer. God got, came through for us. What a miracle. And then until the next problem comes. And it's like, what miracle? How many more miracles is it going to take before we finally stop doubting and believe? I'm saying we. How many more answered prayers will it require before we stop worrying and start trusting God? Boy, that hit me hard. When am I going to stop worrying? I've... I've been a Christian since I was five years old, so that's 52 years if you do the math. And I'm, sometimes I'm like, you know what, James, you're still a baby in the faith. 
By now, you should, you should trust God for everything. Nothing should rattle you, but sometimes it still does. I'm just being real with you. I'm being honest. We all struggle, but we shouldn't. The disciples were focused on physical food, and that's what happens. We get our eyes on the things of this world. We get our eyes on, are we going to have enough money? Are we going to have enough food? Are we going to make it through the pandemic? We get our eyes on the world, and that's what the disciples, they were, had their eyes on physical food. Jesus wanted them to get their eyes on something else because Jesus was fixed upon another kind of food altogether. And so the disciples were not tracking with Jesus. They were not in tune with the Spirit, and many times neither are we. And that's why it's not well with our soul. We're not tracking. We're not in step. We're not walking in that faith, that simple faith, childlike faith that believes. If we only function in the flesh, we can't see into the Spirit. And I'm telling you, in these days, we need to see into the Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit like we've never had the Spirit before. We need a move of God like we have never seen. But we can't have that move of God until we see in the Spirit. And stop being so consumed and focused on this world, on the things of this world. We're thinking only in the natural, but we need to see into the supernatural. And so when the disciples insisted that Jesus eat some food, Jesus said, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. When I was studying this and meditating on this, this struck me. I have a kind of food you know nothing about. It's, it's, it spoke to me that, you know what? There's a lot that God knows that I don't know. The disciples they didn't know. Jesus says, I have a food you don't know anything about. You guys don't know what you're talking about. And because we don't know and don't understand what God knows and what God is doing, we begin to doubt and question. And when we begin to doubt and question, it's not well with our soul. Here's the bottom line. God does not think like we do. Not even close. So whatever you're thinking right now, God's not thinking like that at any given time. And some of us are still thinking about lunch. And God's not. Now, you know this passage of Scripture, but let's read it in the New Living Translation because it's so powerful. It's one of my favorite Scriptures in the Bible. It helps me have peace. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9 God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We doubt what God is doing because we don't understand what God is thinking. God will never think like us. However, is it possible for us to learn to maybe think a little bit like God does? Perhaps. Look at 1 Corinthians 2.16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. For it to be well with our soul, number three, we need to have the mind of Christ. And the only way you can get the mind of Christ is to know his word. 
to walk in obedience to his truth. And if we walk in obedience, the Bible says our mind has to be renewed. It needs to be transformed. It needs to be cleansed. And the only thing that can do that is the Bible. The power of God's word changes the way we think. And the reason we are in so much stress and anxiety and turmoil is because we're not thinking the right way. We're thinking like humans think. We need to think like God thinks. We cannot ever expect God to think like we do. We should never try to tell him what to do or try to control him. But there, there is a degree to where we can learn to think more like him. We never will fully in this life, but we only learn his ways by knowing his word. And the Bible says to learn his ways, learn God's ways, learn what pleases the Lord. However, God's ways and his thoughts will always be so much higher than ours because he's God and we're not and never will be. There's always going to be the mystery of God because he's so much greater. He is infinite. He's all-knowing. We will never have that capacity. But his thoughts are so much higher and so far beyond anything we could imagine. And this is why we've got to trust him. And so Jesus told the disciples he had food they knew nothing about. And so they huddle up again and say, somebody must have brought him food. Did somebody bring him food? And, and again, Jesus is like, guys, I can hear you. I'm right here. I can see you huddling up again. Still, they're clueless. They can't comprehend why Jesus would talk to a Samaritan woman for water, why he would ask for water. And they don't understand this food Jesus is talking about. What is he talking about? We, we got the food. We got the takeout right here. So somebody must have given him some food. We will never have full knowledge until heaven. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 9, New Living Translation. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, and we, we understand that to be the, the coming of Christ and his establishment of his new kingdom, the end of times. But when the time of perfection, when the end times comes, these partial things will be useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Right now, we, we think like children compared to what we will think like. Verse 12, now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely just as God now knows me completely. Do you know God knows you absolutely completely? He knows every hair on your head. He knows every thought before it's formed in your mind. He knows everything about us. He knew us before we were even formed in our mother's womb. He knows everything. And here's the reality. We don't. God knows everything, but, and we don't. So why would we try to think we know better than God? You, you know, there are certain people that think they know everything. You know what I'm saying? They're real pleasant to be around. Because no matter what, they're an expert. And I love Pastor Frank's definition of an expert. An ex is a has-been, and a spurt is a drip under pressure. 
And so sometimes we act like that with God. Oh, God, I know. Let me, let me tell you this. You missed, might have missed out. You had an angelic meeting at 10, and this happened, and you missed it. Who are you going to trust? Yourself, who has limited knowledge, or God, who has unlimited knowledge? For it to be well with our soul, we must, number four, accept we don't know. We fight it. We want to know. God, why are you doing this? God, why'd you make me lie on the bathroom floor for five days? I mean, I'm laying on that floor repenting of all my sins and you know, everything I can, I was repenting for y'all's sins too. I just thought I might as well just find, you know, anybody else. God, what did I do wrong? And so, so often, and that's, that's petty compared to serious circumstances of people with serious illness or, or great loss. God, why? I don't understand. And as long as we want answers, it won't be well with our soul. Because even those answers may not satisfy. And so for it to be well with our soul, we need to just accept that our knowledge is limited and that we may never understand in this life why. We wanna know what God is doing. We wanna know why God allowed certain things. You know, Job, nobody can hold a candle to Job. He lost his 10 children. He lost his wealth. He lost his health. He lost probably what was one of the most devastating things. He lost the respect of his wife. She said, just curse God and die. He lost everything. And yet, at the end of the book, because the whole book is about Job's asking why. God, why? Question, answer my question, God, why? And at the end of the book, he says, some things are just too wonderful for me to know. Listen, where you're at, there are some things that are just too wonderful for you to know right now. And you will find peace when you can accept that. When you can let go of the questions and hold on to God. This morning we are going to take communion. And I just want to encourage you, the Bible says that before we take communion, we're to examine our hearts. We're to look inside and see if there's anything God wants to work on. Anything we need to repent of, anything we need to ask the Lord for. I've heard of testimonies of people being healed during communion. So this is a powerful, spiritual, sacred moment. And I would just ask you to consider these four things, to examine your heart before we take communion together. Are you in step with Jesus? Or do you realize you're out of sync? I think that's something to bring to the Lord when we begin to sing. Just tell the Lord, God, I realize I'm out of sync with you. I'm just not in step with you. Are you struggling in your faith with Jesus? I know 
it's a simple thing, but it's, it's a challenge for everyone. Are you realizing that you need to have the mind of Christ? Not, not the mind of this world, not even your own mind, your own thoughts, but you need the mind of Christ. You, you need his wisdom, his decisions. Or maybe you're at a place where you have questions. You just, you want to know. You want answers. But you realize at this time you need to let that go. And you need to accept that you may never know on this side of glory. If any one of those areas spoke to you, as we sing, I just want you to talk to the Lord about it, just as you would talk to a friend. God, this is where I'm struggling. This is what hit home to me today. Help me. Let's sing. From heaven's throne, acquainted with our sorrow, to train the dead we owe, your suffering for our Listen to these words. My name Amen. Hallelujah. Our shame is gone. My shame. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. Power of sin undone. Yes, let it be.
take the bread with me and we're gonna, we're gonna read a scripture and then pray and then we'll partake. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you said you were the bread of life and you gave your life so we could live. We are so grateful that you gave the bread, the eternal bread, not a temporary fix, but a deliverance, a healing, a transformation. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. So Lord, I just pray that as you spoke to hearts this morning, God, you spoke to me in one of those points strongly to my heart this morning that I have to resolve with you And so, Lord, we thank you that you gave your body to be broken for us so we can be healed, so we can be free. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. Would you take the bread? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood on that cruel cross. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And so Jesus, you came, you died, you were that perfect lamb, that spotless lamb. And you died in our place. You you shed your blood so our sins could be forgiven. We are free and forgiven because of what you did, because of what we hold in our hands and what it represents. This is a sacred moment. And Lord, if we have failed, we come before you and ask for forgiveness again. And Lord, you're faithful every time to forgive us, every time. You are such a good God, so kind, so forgiving. So as we drink this juice, we drink in your forgiveness and we also proclaim you're coming again. All this mess that's going on in the world, it won't last forever because you're coming, Jesus. You're preparing the way. And so we need to make that proclamation. Jesus is coming soon. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Would you partake of the juice? And would you stand with me today as I bless you and would you receive this blessing? May it be upon you throughout this week. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in today. We are so excited that you joined us. If you chose to say yes to Christ today, we would love for you to text the word born again, all one word to 94090. By doing so, you will receive more information on your next steps in following Christ. We meet every Sunday at 830 and 11 a.m. right here in Bakersfield, California at 4901 California Avenue. We would love for you to join us in person. Also, we have a live stream service at 11 a.m. every Sunday morning. You can find us on YouTube and Facebook. 
If you'd like more information about Bakersfield First Assembly of God, you can search us on the internet at bakersfieldfirst.com. Thank you for joining us today and have a blessed week.